Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Everyday Eternal. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to introduce our guest that we're gonna have tonight, Dugal Warby, also known as Dukes on Twitch. Dukes is probably one of my favorite legacy streamers, in part because he always streams while I'm at work and he's firmly occupying my third screen here at my desk. <laughs> but that's not why I wanted to have him in the show. Dukes is one of the most positive forces in the whole of legacy content creation, I want to say. I've actually never seen him not keep his cool and he just puts out so many projects and does so much work in the greater legacy community, whether that's his stream that has been going for four years, but also greensunsunnet.com, which is a website that's about to hit its three-year anniversary next month. Callum and I, we always wanted to have him on the show. Uh, it's kind of tricky because he lives in a place called Australia, basically giant barren wasteland, but he managed to, to make it to, to one of the beautiful spots on the coast. So we'll hear a lot about Australia, about drop bears, about Maverick especially. And in the second part of the episode, starting around like one hour, we'll also talk a lot about how to build a deck for big tournaments, big unknown meta games, especially with regards to wanting to win that whole thing. There's a lot of things, both with regards to, I want to say, greater deck building choices, but also very specific things about how you want to build your deck, which decks are really good in Legacy right now. And that's basically what Kadam, Dukes and I are going to cover on this episode. Just wanted to give you this little introduction, so just because I always felt it was a bit awkward when we tried to grill the guest for stuff that basically everyone on the show already knew. But I wanted to throw this out there. I hope you would prefer this kind of style. I'm also making show notes for this and our future podcasts that include timestamps to all different um, topics that we're going to cover. So definitely let me know if you like that. It's a little bit of work, but I think it could be worth it. And if you people want to see this, I'm definitely going to continue doing this. So, so let me know whether that's on Twitter. Actually, it's probably the best place. <laughs> but you can also leave a comment on the website or, or somewhere. And we're going to have the new website up very, very soon. I'm going to try to make it to the 100th episode and release it along with that. Can't promise it yet, but it's it's in the very near future. I also just ordered all the t-shirts and hoodies and all the swag for our Patreon supporters who were eligible for that. I think two or three of you still didn't get back to me, but you will still get your t-shirts if you hit me up. So yeah, check it out. And... Enjoy the cast tonight. Welcome everyone to Everyday Channel number 99, your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. Today's show is brought to you by our brand new patrons, Markus Ewald, Christopher Reinhardt, Paragon Games in St. Louis, and Stavros the Nexus. Thank you so much for your support, and Callum, Dukes, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, I want to say tonight, but Dukes, for you, it's the morning, right? You live in the future, so what are going to be the lottery numbers next day? <laughs> it is the morning. I can't tell you uh, the lottery numbers, but I can tell you that the coffee that I have next to me is He's very He's holding good. the wealth for himself. Kill him, Julian, quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, thank you so much, because I think for you, it's, it's something like six in the morning, right? Uh, yeah, quarter past six. 
but uh, it's actually nice to be a morning person. I'm not a morning person at all, but to be up this morning, it's really fresh right now. It's getting pretty cold in Australia, so... It, uh, oh yeah, it's it's basically like the winter kind of coming up, right? You're, you're basically in autumn, right? Everything's yeah. reversed. Your toilet goes the other way. At least that's what the Simpsons told me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, I love those crisp mornings as well, though. They're like, as long as you don't have to do it every day, then it gets to be really boring. But if you do it like once in a little while, then yeah, it's it's a bit of a change. Yeah, it's refreshing. I think most of us aren't not even used to it anymore, right? If you go to GPs or if you go to any other events like this, you have to get up like it's depending on how far you have to travel, like six, seven oh, in the morning, yeah. and then like the first round is going to be at nine if you don't have buys and everything. So this is this is it's been a while. This is basically your GP GP round one, is what you're saying. Welcome, dude. Yeah, we, no, we are your first opponents. <laughs> if yeah. this is a GP, Callum, we have to play again at some point, right? Oh my god! So I've played. I've only played three or four legacy gps and i've played you in two of them and i've lost you both times it's completely whitelisted <laughs> rigged it's ridiculous yeah the second time was especially outrageous right <laughs> yeah it was something about me playing like plague engineer dot deck and you play maverick and you mulling to four cards in game three and i lost kind of like a win and in for day two or, yeah, or, or rather was, like yeah. a lose and out and as I was mulling into far, I remember I was even like in my head, I was going through the trains back to Munich from Bologna. And yeah. then it just worked out and I got my, I think it was my first proper GP cash finish or something. Something like that. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Like I was, I was bummed out, but like at the same time, I knew that you would like do pretty well with it as well. So it's just, just how it goes. Choke and Gideon are, are good cards <laughs> against like blue stew decks. Nice. Oh, it's funny you mentioned Maverick. It really makes me want to play Maverick again, Dukes. We're going to talk a lot about Maverick today, right? Because even though you are known to be the burn player, we're... <laughs> no. Perfect segue into this episode with Dukes. We're going to be talking about Degenerate Combo, Turn 1 Kills. We're going to talk about Virtue's Ruin, Nature's Ruin, all the ruins, everything that kills Maverick creatures. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Yeah, I've been to trying it. to find a, uh, a good mirror breaker, and I found that Terminus is actually something that no one expects from uh, Maverick. Nice. <laughs> And, and you can play Sylvan Library to like help set it up and stuff. You keep the Terminus floating, and you can hardcast off your Noble Hierarchs pretty easily. It's really exactly. good. And everybody sides out by Galactics. <laughs> the technology. <laughs> yeah, it's a win-win. No Thalias either. Yeah. Oh my you god. Know, you know what that reminds me of? There was a time when like A and T was kind of becoming like a proper deck. And it was played a lot, and I always thought, hey, if we played... Well, back then I played that deck for a while. If we played Galactic in the sideboard... And we just got Gadoctique down in the second game, literally game over. You just attack 10 times. What are they going to do? Like nothing. <laughs> One of my favorite decks I've played at my uh, locals was Nick Fitzstorm. And in it was like a, um, it was a Burning Wish, uh, like for the kill, but it had Greens and Zenith in the main deck because you want to get a Veteran Explorer and then use like Culling of the Week and stuff like that. And then um, there was a Gadoctique in the sideboard. So you can green and send it for it in the kind of mirrors. And so I won one of the games against Miracles by like playing a Chrome Mox, imprinting Gallic Teague on it, and then casting tendrils off that Gallic Teague. <laughs> it was a beautiful okay. feeling. <laughs> no, but 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 for for a serious take, um, let's talk a lot about Maverick later on. But uh, mm. in speaking of mirror break, as the one big mirror breaker, because there used to be like the big Maverick area, and hopefully that's eventually going to come back, was Linvala. Linvala, the 4 mana, I think 3-4 angels, which basically says all the activated abilities of creatures your opponent controls, or yeah, I think it was your opponent controls, they can't be activated. And that shut off basically anything that mattered, and yeah, I... 
doesn't really have good use these days, except for, I guess, against elves, which hates it, but that that's quite a card. But before we get into everything, guys, what have you been up to? What, how is magic for you? How's life for you? Dukes, how is Australia for you? Tell us about the drop bears. Have they gotten you? <laughs> the drop bears are no joke, Julian. Um, you should definitely watch out for them if you are coming to Australia. I'll give you a heads up for that. Yeah, I've seen a video about that girl who, who was trying to do uh, some, some kind of documentary about them, and she was, like, really scared. Okay, wh- yeah. what's a drop bear? You haven't heard about the drop bears? I haven't heard of the drop bears. Okay, we we, we got to link the video to the drop bears in the show notes because they're the most ferocious ferocious animal in, in basically the southern hemisphere. They're every year, they're, like you've heard about, I don't know, these these crazy jellyfish and these poisonous snakes and what have you. But the drop bears, they're the most scary thing basically on all of Australia. And Dukes lives pretty close to them. Yeah, they're, um, imagine Tamagoy Future Sight artwork. That's it. <laughs> nice. I've got Those it. I know, I know all about drop bears now. That's terrifying. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but overall, uh, Australia's done really well with the virus. I know that down in Melbourne, uh, in Victoria, they've had probably the, the worst of it with um, lockdown and, and just being hit by the, the virus in general and, and shutdowns across uh, the economy. But Queensland, where I'm from, has done pretty well. We had two weeks of lockdown and then we've had here and there sort of three or four day lockdowns but uh paper magic has been running good we have uh weeklies up here which is nice for legacy uh which during those two weeks were down but other than that we're all good just um you know we have to do social distancing and, and wear masks but uh yeah pretty privileged here in australia especially when it comes to paper magic yeah it's actually kind of crazy to hear that because in, in germany we are so far away from anything like paper magic and probably like still half a year or so but i think even the uk it's getting a lot better right Karen? yeah um we are we so just yesterday pub gardens opened again which to the delight of everyone in england um <laughs> yeah i went with my family and dog and we just like it was therapeutic so um yeah that's just a huge step and with that comes like kind of uh gyms um swimming pools hairdressers all this kind of stuff and shops are allowed to open so yeah we have that and then i think in an, roughly another month uh, we have another stage of things reopening where we can see up to six people inside or house of six i can't quite remember oh they they failed they, they should have made it eight right fnm come on six yeah well it, maybe okay i can't actually remember the the exact details i'm kind of blanking on it but then may 17th i think is stated to be where everything should be starting to get back to normal um it's obviously it feels a bit optimistic still but vaccines are really fast like right now everyone over 50 has been offered a vaccine shot so oh god yeah. <laughs> that's that's oh man we are envious we're envious but yeah. we'll get there right in yeah, the meantime we just will. we just keep grinding those magic online matches have you guys <laughs> yeah. played a lot over the last couple of weeks um i was didn't play a huge amount last week or the week before because work still being busier and stuff and i was I've, I keep going in and out of funks of uh, Warhammer. I got my mojo for Warhammer back, <laughs> so I, I was painting loads of that and uh, chatting with friends about it. But this week I'm off work. I, um, I was, I've worked quite a lot this last year, and I'd worked out that I had like technically three days off in the last year. So I went to the boss saying I need a week off just being lazy at home. So, yeah, I've just sat in my PJs today and yesterday, played a few <laughs> leagues of Esper Mentor, um, got a nice oh, that sounds 5-0. sounds like my normal day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I was thinking like because I've been kind of doing some other work on the side like studying some things I wanted to to learn about for a while, so it's kind of worky days. I'm thinking, God, if I could just like you know play a quick match of Magic Online to the side while I'm working, not too bad actually. I mean, that's why I have three screens here. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. just like, changes the world. 
I just have two, and I think I need a third for all the stuff. You definitely need a third. Dukes, how many uh, screens are you running on? I've got three. I've got two, and then one is a uh, vertical. What do you call it? Portrait? Uh-huh. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 I, I, saw, I saw that in your stream. Those are fancy. Yeah. yeah. Your stream is, like, super fancy in the first place. So, like, as much as I want to talk about Maverick right now, actually, I want to talk about your stream, because if anyone hasn't seen your stream yet, they should definitely check it out, because... Not only is it one of the most technologically advanced streams, it's really it's really one of the most chill streams. I don't exactly remember when you stream, but it just so works out that whenever I'm in the mood for just like chilling out and doing a little bit of work, you are always on. So that, that there's kind of some overlap with my work schedule. And seriously, I just love tuning in and and enjoying the atmosphere. And I, th- I think I've never seen you angry. Okay, let's approach this from the other side. When's the last time you punched somebody in the face. Uh, Tuesday. <laughs> no so <chill>. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, maybe you're actually serious. <laughs> I wouldn't even know it. <laughs> I, I went to my shop and the guy like blind flipped Terminus and was like, asshole. Yeah. Or whatever you say in Australia. I don't know. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it can be tough sometimes trying to like keep a level head on stream. But I think really? one of the, uh, yeah, one of the big things that I, do like is if my opponent does combo off or you know draws a terminus when I have like six creatures out just uh take a step back and think about it from their end and how they must feel about you know pulling it off or getting the card at the right time and you kind of just appreciate that and then you have some good vibes about it I guess I completely agree I I, that's exactly how I've kind of got over tilty situations in the past and it was like that was the kind of the key to being less frustrated by lucky top decks and stuff for a few years ago now i was just thinking yeah in their spot if i top deck the card i need i'd be like maybe screenshotting it sending it to friends like oh my god look at this how lucky i got ha 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 and yeah just put yourself in their shoes um it's so true i do see people kind of get frustrated on streams a lot and but when you see a streamer get lucky as well they're celebrating i mean that's kind of part of what makes the game good as well as the emotion in it but yeah i I agree with julian like tuning into your stream is so chill and i know there's not going to be any oh my god, this uh, new blocker top-decked, blah, blah, blah. And it's just so boring to hear that. So I mean, I, I gotta say, it taps that top was banned. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's not a top-deck, is it? It's a Sensei's Divine top-deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think that the, it sounds a little bit like arrogant because it's not like I've made it as a streamer or something, but I, I know what I enjoy and I think I got an understanding of what people enjoy and... I think it's like a big thing when, when I can tune to a stream and there's not going to be this constant salt because that's this kind of salt persona that exists for like super big streamers and other games as well. But that's always turned me off. And, and when I tune into your stream, I know there's going to be nice decks unless you play, I guess, Punishing Maverick. <laughs> that's like, okay, <laughs> let's talk about that. Like a nice guy. And I can keep asking stupid questions about Australia and you will never like be like, okay, tune in. Can, can you please like ask something relevant now? <laughs> No, that's really nice. It's uh, very cool to hear you guys are a fan of the stream because, yeah, I remember watching you, Julian, a, f- a lot, especially at work. I'd always have you on my laptop uh, at oh, wow. the bottom of my uh, sort of work setup and then have my desktop screen set up with my actual work. And I'd have people come past and go, oh, who's that guy? I'm like, oh, that's Julian. <laughs> like, you don't know, know him. It's Julian. <laughs> yeah. It's Esso on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Don't you know him? <laughs> you should sub to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. Actually, for for the people tuning in right now, um, we're, we're also going to have it in the show notes, a link to your stream. But when do, do you have like fixed times in your stream? Because you gotta check out the Duke's experience. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have two times a week that I stream 
Thursday nights at Australian Eastern Standard Time of 7.30pm, which is GMT plus 10. Uh, and then on Sunday mornings around 10.30 a.m. But it depends on Saturday night. And, and if I had a big night, I might start at 11. Just give myself an extra half an hour to a big night. W- w- what's a big night in your book? Uh, uh, just, you know, like going out with a few mates. Um, thankfully here we, we have like uh, sports back, which is awesome. Um, so, yeah, sometimes Saturday nights can get pretty rowdy. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. I, I love picking up words. Like I've picked up so many like British words from Callum and I've never heard rowdy. Okay, it's getting rowdy's rowdy. great. We we use rowdy as well. There's a lot of similarities in slang between Australia and England. Yeah, I wonder where we got it from. <laughs> no idea. Guess <laughs> <laughs> we got to have more Americans if you want to learn even more of that kind of stuff. But mm. that, that that's amazing. But Dukes, you're not only doing the stream, right? But you've also, I think, for almost three years now. I think in May the third anniversary is coming up. You've been running the, um, I keep calling it the greensunsenate.com, but it's actually greensunsenate.com a website dedicated to everything Maverick and Legacy, right? Yeah, it was actually tough coming up with a name as well. I thought the Green Suns was okay because it is the engine of the deck, but obviously there's other decks you can associate with Green Suns like Elves, uh, but uh, the Reliquary was actually another name that was in the mix, which, which I thought was pretty cool, and that was with some feedback from the Discord. But yeah, the Green Sun Zenith has been running for nearly three years, which is very cool. I to, think the to see. only other option would have been like ScriptRanger.com, right? The, the, yeah. Those are just like the only two I could really see. And uh, it's cool that you named it Green Sun Center because the deck really only came about once that card was printed. There, there were like Death and Texas variants before, but once Green Sun Center was printed, people were like, okay, we really got to go the green road now. Yeah, it's really cool looking back at tournament reports and uh, results with the deck. Obviously, there's a different kind of version of Green White with Survival, uh, but once uh, Mirrodin Besiege came yeah, that out. That was and- rather short lived, right? Yes. Sadly, I never got to play with it. <laughs> yeah, but, well, you, you didn't miss much, honestly. It, <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, the green white ver- version with Survivor, once it like really became a thing, that was the Benchwine version, which was probably like the best one. And it's, yeah, it took Survivor from us. And that's just something I can't forgive. <laughs> <laughs> but but tell, tell us about it. Um, are you running the website alone or do you have a lot of help? Because you've got tons of content on there you you i think you have like the history of maverick you've got tons of leaks videos articles you've got the maverick month is it the maverick monthly or quarterly i'm not sure yeah the maverick monthly where i go over the 5-0 lists um and see what people are playing uh visiting like standout cards uh and then talk about maybe cards that i'm trying out or general uh metagame analysis and like what's good what's not um yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Also, just shouting out people who are doing really well. There's obviously some Maverick players who just keep putting up results, uh, which is really nice. So there's there's always something to talk about. And uh, especially since Oko is gone, there's been a lot to talk about about each archetype as well. So Green White, Abzan, Punishing Maverick, Bant. Um, I do have a, a section on like Green White Depths as well, which is doing really well. I think it won the challenge on the weekend, which is great. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good time. I do have a few... Uh, co-contributors which is nice so uh jordan munson did the uh maverick on a budget series which is really cool so it's an article just showing how you can start off with a maverick deck and then over time what you should buy and how much it'll cost which is very cool he actually updated that about a month ago for 2021 so that's like without cradle without dual lands or something yeah starting off with like a um temple garden basic heavy even like a field of the dead version um and then moving towards jewels and cradle but that's that's probably the biggest card that people talk about is do you need cradle and there's always a lot of uh, 
a lot of discussion about it. And thankfully, there are some decks that do pretty well without it. So you can kind of give people 5-0 lists or, you know, challenge top 32s without cradle versions. It's obviously going to be better, right? But it's not that it's going to be entirely unplayable, for example. Like, that, there's decks that heavily depend on certain staples. Like, you probably wouldn't play A&T without Lines of Diamond. But cutting right, the Lands cradle with would... the Tabernacle is a pretty good example. Yeah, yeah right. That, that's also a pretty rough one without to go without. To, oh, don't remind me of Lance, by the way. I, I've played a lot <laughs> of elves lately, and I've been doing really well with it. But come on, Lance, it's everywhere. And even though the card Valakut Exploration isn't that important in the matchup against elves, it's it made the deck so much better, and now it's seeing play everywhere. So maybe I really just want to go back to to Maverick. So Dukes, uh, <laughs> in preparing and researching this episode, I was already like, oh my god, I can't believe I haven't played Maverick in like a month. I uh, gotta get my fix again. Do, do we actually have some kind of mer- merchandise? I, I kind of I, I'm feeling in the mood for Maverick merchandise. Yeah, I do. I'll have to send you the link. Um, it is you can find it on the sidebar of the Green Sun Zenith. And I think also in my Twitch description, you can find a link. Um, okay, awesome. And I'm going to send you my paper for the 25% commission. That's awesome. Okay, cool, cool. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's more than fine. Um, I will quickly shout out as well those who have come on for the Maverick matchup analysis, which I've been doing uh, for four months now, just looking at different archetypes and how the matchup is between Mavericks. So I did DNT with Phil Gallagher. I did Rich Kali and Rug Delva. Achilles27 helped me out with the... Uh, Eldrazi one, and then I currently have one coming up with uh, Ali uh, Lindbloom with Lands, which should be pretty sweet. Oh, uh, you, you, you're putting a lot of work. So, on average, how many hours a week do you actually put in, and basically your stream and the website and everything associated with that? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess uh, the stream is probably three hours each stream, so that's six. And then I usually started, I started doing a. YouTube exclusive content once a week. So I guess we'll add another three there. And then just uh, general site maintenance. Um, doing some of the back end is kind of what I do in, in real life. So that's always pretty fun to to tweak. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of depends. But yeah, maybe 12 to 15 hours a week. Well, that's quite a lot. Yeah. But it's uh, it's spaced out, which is nice. So it's never a chore, which is awesome. Maverick's always, and, and I guess magic in general has always been a hobby, not so much a business. A labor off and off. Yeah. And I guess it helps that you know what you're doing. Dude, when I started like building websites and stuff, like the last time I had built a website was like in Dreamweaver in 2000 or, or 2001. Nice. And like now looking at the WordPress, I, I loaded way too many plugins in there and people were like, dude, what, what are you doing treating like this? This is not how we build a website these days. But uh, okay. <laughs> but you already mentioned that you, you're doing um, um, matchup reviews and just off the top of my head one of the questions uh we received from our many many patrons uh, over the course of the week is from the eternal eternally surprised who's been asking about the ninjas matchup guide because apparently that's like a big thing that they are waiting for and you still haven't delivered yet it sounded like you you were due for one <laughs> yeah ninjas is a good one because it is a matchup that can be pretty difficult and it's it's kind of got that two layers of creatures where do you kill the enablers or do you kill the payoffs uh, and do you have the time to kill the payoffs? That's the big thing. So I think, yeah, finding someone within the, the Ninjas community to do a, a matchup analysis would be great because I would learn a lot as well. I um, I definitely have trouble with that, especially the four mana card. Oh, I hate that card. The one that whatever it attacks, you draw a card. They always have it when I have Caracas. <laughs> it's just like, I can't deal with this. It's like, like a, what is it? how, like, well, nobody remembers the name. It's Ingenious <laughs> yeah. Infiltrator. That's it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is there anything Callum doesn't know? 
I like magic a lot. I spend a lot of time <laughs> looking at things. <laughs> Are you one of those players, like when that weird card uh, was spoiled in Strixhaven, you were immediately, oh, Chain of Smog is going to combo with that? Um, I think I, I knew about it very quickly, but I didn't have the idea myself. Uh, <laughs> but I, I take I take some time to find the weird interactions, unless like I see a card and I think, oh, let's find a card to do that. And then, pre- well... Actually, yes, I did know it straight away because um, I already have Chain of Smogs that I bought for like 20p two years ago mm-hmm. because when um, Ral Zarek from War of the Spark came out, it also combos with that. Oh. It's got the same kind of ability. So I was always planning to make like a kind of Grexus Control deck with Ral Zarek and then you Burning Wish for Chain of Smog and kill them with that. And then when the uh, the new Liliana Onyx Planeswalker came out, I was like, okay, this is another kill with Chain of Smog. And then, yeah, when Witherbloom came... It was, it was immediately like, yeah, this does the same thing. That's kind of good. Yeah, and I think I'm deep into Legacy, and <laughs> like 20 <laughs> years from now, I still wouldn't know. I, I'm still tr- sitting here trying to break Defense of the Heart. <laughs> I, well, I've broken Defense of the Heart. Haven't I shown you? Oh, yeah, the Leveler and Thassa's Oracle, right? Yeah, and it's the ultimate experience, because if you click the triggers in the wrong order, you lose. If you don't, you win. It's absolutely <laughs> oh, brilliant. It's, so it's like, it's like uh, safe gambling. Yeah, this is this is <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of broken gameplay that Dukes and I are super into, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. In speaking about um, broken things, let, let's actually move to a couple of questions we received about Maverick because questions are broken. Yeah, that, that that's what people are in for, right? If they come to Legacy, <laughs> yeah, <it's true. laughs> kind of these days, people are in for the broken. So the first question comes from Disco Drogo. Question for Dukes: Which is the card you would love to play in Maverick, but it just isn't good enough? Is there, is there anything that sticks out to you that feel like, I really want this to be a thing, but I, I just can't justify running it, either because it's just not good enough? Delver of Secrets? And no that flips of Green Sun Senate? Oh my god. Exactly. Have you ever flipped a Delver with Green Sun Senate? <laughs> I flipped a Delver with a Terminus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did, did you steal that with Oko, or what happened? No, no, I was playing, I was playing uh, like Power 22 Miracles with, uh, so Miracles with a two Delver Cyborg. <laughs> I can't remember the matchup, but uh, I think I revealed it and then obviously didn't cast it. <laughs> okay, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Okay, sorry. This is, this is, Carry on with yeah, the question. We, we, we keep going like way off topic, but if you've got interactions like this, I want to hear about them. There's really fun stuff you can do in Legacy. We can leave it at that. So what, what's the fun stuff Dukes want, wants to do in Maverick? Yeah, so I guess playing the uh, pre-Innistrad Legacy tournament, which I believe Cal played as well, uh, I got to play with Linvala Keeper of Silence, which is uh, the four mana, two and two white angel that uh, activated abilities of your cr- opponent's creatures can't be activated, which is obviously pretty strong in the mirror against things like elves. Um, just a, a really strong flying legendary angel, which is nice as a three, four body, but just not good enough. It's just like really hard to find, obviously not being a green sun's target. Uh, and you know, getting to four mana against some of those decks without dying these days is is pretty tough. Um, the other one I had for green, white, black was Anafenza the Foremost, which is uh, three to cast, Abzan Colors, uh, a legendary creature that's a four four. Uh, whenever it attacks, you can put a plus one plus one counter on another tapped target creature you control. So maybe like a, a noble hierarch or a, um, a birds of paradise that you used for mana in main phase one, or mother of runes that you've. Um, you know, given protection with. And then if a creature card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you can exile it instead. So obviously great against Dredge and Hogak. Uh, also hoses uh, any sort of Dread Return decks like Oops All Spells and Cephalid Breakfast. Uh, 
but a lot of the time you really just want something like a scavenging ooze because it just keeps doing things and also hits uh, non-creature spells in the graveyard. So it's always been a case of, I think, second scavenging ooze is just kind of better than the first Anafenza, which sucks because it's a very cool card. Uh, and the last one that I had was for Green, White, Red was Huntmaster of the Fells, which is a, a four mana, two, a red and a green for a 2-2. Uh, when it comes into play, you get a 2-2 wolf as well, and you gain two life. And then at the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast last turn, you can transform it into a 4-4 trampler, that when it transforms, it deals two damage to target opponent, and two damage to up to one creature that player controls. Uh, and then it flips back if a player casts two or more spells in a, in a turn. Uh, so a heap of value. Uh, it comes down and gets value straight away, which is great. Um, it also gives you a, a second body, which is awesome if you're running like a Stoneforge Mystic... Uh, equipment version uh, because I think Maverick these days you have to put your opponent in position where they're using real cards on fake cards like tokens uh, and getting value <laughs> that way <laughs> but again just a little bit too fair obviously a great grindy card but um, yeah there's just so many good four drops and even uh, you know going just keeping the the overall curve of Maverick lore as well is pretty enticing so unfortunately Hutmaster hasn't seen too much it feels like one of those ultimate memory cards, right? Because it just does so many little tiny things and, and you can find value in, in so many little tiny plays and that, that that's part of the overall Maverick experience, right? That's that's what you're trying to do. You want to flash in your script ranges, you want to untap something. You you always want to have some kind of nifty tiny trick up your sleeve and and that's what, for example, Huntmaster does, which is a way that you generate value in Maverick by having just too much stuff that's going on that your opponent at some point just misses out on something and then you come in and, you know, you untap your, your Knight of the Rick, you do something again and again, you get the cradle, you re-equip your equipment. And <laughs> to me, oh, dude, I, I could talk about this forever. This is just like the ultimate, the ultimate experience for me. And yeah, I, I can totally feel you with regards to like all these cards that you mentioned because they're just, I, the bad way to phrase it would be cute. The, the proper way to phrase it would be awesome. Yeah, I think when looking at like a green sun's target you want to play or a creature, um, it's a case of how does this make my you know fifty fifty or, or bad matchups better um, instead of you know building out on something like Eldrazi that's already a pretty good matchup. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it's it's also tough as well trying to put non green creatures in the deck because you got to ask yourself is this you know one of Linvala Keeper of Silence better than uh, say one Huntmaster of the Fells that once I add it to the deck I instantly have five copies through green sun's Zenith. I feel like these things are also like the, as you described, the effects are all things the deck wants, but they're inefficient. It's like the key word. They, um, they just, as you said, like Linvana doesn't come down a turn in time for elves. And Offenza like does what you want in these uh, matchups as well. But like, so you're like Greenstone's anything at like on turn three if you have a dork or turn four usually. And Scooza's going to be like just come down a turn earlier and pressure to eat more things. Um, Hardmaster as well. Like if it costs three mana, I could probably see the deck playing it. But yeah, they all seem like they're just kind of a mana off, doing enough for the deck at what what, the, what they cost. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, Maverick has a really good way of pivoting in the early game. So if you go like Termon Noble, and then your opponent does something like maybe uh, ponder off a uh, basic island or like uh, Cabal, uh, sorry, a careful study off a underground sea. Then if you have a Green Suns, you can go for Gadok Teague turn two, or you could go for Scavenging if you think they're Hogak, or you could know that maybe uh, you have to play out something like Thalia from your hand based on what you can see. So it is definitely a deck that you have to see ahead, uh, and a lot of these cards just, yeah, sadly don't come down the, the turns where you really need them to come down. 
Yeah, and, and like that's a really good point. The cost of Green Sun Zenith, the extra one mana, like the flexibility it provides is is insane. The card is amazing. But you like it's not a free thing. One mana in legacy is a lot of mana. And this is a good reason why like Green Sun Zenith Green Sun Zenith is hugely playable and Finale of Devastation isn't playable at all. It's because it's this extra one mana. So when you're looking for these targets as well, you're really trying to find something that's like extra powerful, extra efficient. It can't be middle of the road. Yeah, what, what I like about Greens and Sunnet is that it's almost like the perfectly designed card. As you mentioned, it's inherently inefficient, right? You you end up paying one more when you could have just like drawn a good card right away. But at the same time, it has this mode where it's a turn one mana dog, which is the exact opposite of, of like tempo loss and inefficiency when, when you can actually accelerate. And, and that's just like those two two sides of the card that, that complement each other so well. And that's why I think it's one of the, the most awesomely designed cards for Legacy and... That, oh, I, I'm in love with the card. I can't help it. I, <laughs> <laughs> if you could, if you could only, if you could only cast one card for the rest of your life, what would it be? Green Sun Zenith or Korean Ranger? Noble Hierarch, probably. That's my favorite magic card. Of <laughs> okay. all time. But out of those nice. two, but yeah, I know, I know Hierarch's your number one. Mm. Yeah, Green Sun's <laughs> really good for for mind games as well. I uh, had a game against DNT where I cast Green Suns with X equal three, and my opponent only had a, a violin play and I think like a Mother of Runes. And they didn't activate their vial because they probably thought I was going for Knight of Autumn. But because they didn't activate the vial, Green Suns is X or less. So I got Collective. And they, just, they lost Love the game it. from there. They couldn't do anything. And it's just so good because they have to really think about what it is. A little bit like when your opponent activates vial and you're like, okay, it could be Thalia. It could be Stonefish Missy. It could be Spirit of Labyrinth on two. So it's got that little bit of play to it as well, which is nice. Yeah, big, big fan of that. Awesome. Achilles, um, Achilles is from our Discord. It's he is or they are not the Achilles of Maverick fame, but I think they also really like the deck from what I've seen. And they've got a question about the general position of Maverick right now. I would like to know how Dukes feels about Maverick's place in the overall meta game right now. I also wonder if he believes that recent bannings gave the deck a better or worse place in the meta game. And I know, Callum, we've talked about this quite a lot, right, when the bannings were announced. Uh, we, we, I think we talked about it in some legacy chat. I, I don't know if you were present. But that was quite the discussion. Um, we've, let's just hear it from the master himself, Dukes. How, how do you feel about Maverick post-ban? Uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think that I, I wouldn't say it's you know straight to tier one, but I think it's definitely put up got a, a lot more... Uh, advantages to it, especially against a deck like Rugdelva, which is obviously pretty dominant with Oko and Dreadhorde. Uh, but uh, a really key part of that matchup is that Knight of the Reliquary as a 4-4 now is actually a bit of an issue for Rug. You know, once you get above that Lightning Bolt range, uh, they've got to find, you know, either either two bolts or multiple ways to deal with Knight before it just gets out of hand. Um, whereas before they had, you know, Okuit or uh, Dreadhorde with Flashback Bolt. Um, what, what year so is what year is this? Um, is it like 2010 uh, or something? 2017. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Two bolts to kill a knight. We're back in legacy, baby. Yeah, uh, there's obviously still some issues with the deck. Uh, it's very weak against some of the terminus decks, but I feel like the the upside of the removal of uh, Astrolabe and Oko and Dreadhorde uh, is a much greater advantage to Maverick than the downsides of some of the new issues that have come up with the new meta. Yeah, all, all three of those cards were very good against Maverick as well. So you're probably one of the like on the on the like level one raw kind of cards gone, cards going and stuff. Like all three were pretty pretty good against everything you wanted to do really. So 
must be like because Maverick did play Oko, and I think it was a very good Oko deck, as sad and boring as that is. But um, <laughs> yeah, I can see like you know you lose that card, but you don't have to play against it as well. So it's a a huge win. Yeah, I think uh, Bant Maverick definitely lost the biggest draw to it being Oko, especially because you could cast it on turn two on the play or draw thanks mm-hmm. to mana acceleration. Uh, and then it gave you a really nice way to make sure that your late game mana dorks or creatures that weren't uh, relevant in the matchup, say like Gatotique against Death and Taxes, you could still make it a 3-3 that becomes an issue for your opponent they have to deal with. Yeah, but ben, like Ben Maverick, I, I almost don't want to call it Maverick. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> such a, for, such for a as much as I love, <laughs> No, but for as much as I love like Bant, it's my favorite color combination and I love playing Bant midrange decks. It always felt like these Bant Maverick decks, especially if they played like Brainstorm or something, they're like like the rich kids who grew up in like really big money, but they try <laughs> to hang out with their like poorer friends from the street and be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm just like you and I understand your struggle. And it's like, yeah, right, come on, you, you have brainstorm, you have no idea what's it like to top deck the card I need. <laughs> that's yeah, but that's just like my sides of an on, on bad Merrick. But overall, I, I totally agree. I, I just feel like there's this huge, huge pressure lifted off your shoulders as Maverick that you, not only do you have to immediately deal with Dreadhought Arcanist, which is, I guess, was one of the biggest things for most decks that don't really want to do that. But once again, I kind of want to say you are the best fair creature deck again. And that has pretty much always been the draw towards Maverick, that you dominate the combat. You you dominate creatures. You, you dominate anyone who wants to play a fair game of Magic. And then you got the tools, right? Then you got some ways to make things work. Given Doomsday is probably still one of the, the hardest matchups at all. <laughs> By the way, that's why I love two Avon Mind Sensors in the main deck. I, I just do that. I'm just such an the deck. <laughs> Sorry, we, we invited you to speak about Maverick, and now here I am like going all on, on you know, about... At the like, very beginning of the cast, I almost feel. said, um, if this is going to be just like Julian waxing poetic about Maverick and Dukes agreeing, or vice versa... <laughs> I, I can just like leave now, but uh, no, carry on. <laughs> it's great. To Callum, what, what, what's your favorite way to cast to cast a uh, carding Maverick? To cast what? To to cast any. What's your favorite way to make Maverick work? Um, turn one, Noble Harak. Turn two, Oko. <laughs> Talk about the guy who grew up in uh, money and's like, oh yeah, I can hang with you guys. I, and then I and then I I, I turn three, brainstorm my other two Okos away. Oh it's God. a legendary card. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> I'm gonna move to Australia. In Australia, everybody appreciates Maverick, right? Turn four, terminus with the with the brainstorm I set up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I follow up. Uh, okay, guys, no, no, seriously. So yeah, you. We talked about how the deck is, is doing well, and the, is there anything that you want to say about the Delver matchup? Because I feel like of all the decks that keep saying, oh, my Delver matchup is fine, I think Maverick is the closest to actually being okay with a Delver matchup, whereas most other decks, I, I often feel like when they say, oh, yeah, Delver is no problem. Like, dude, did you actually like play against Delver? That deck is, like, hard. Yeah, I mean... um, we are a deck that runs sorts of plushes. Sometimes you run maybe like a Brachtekin <laughs> main deck. Case closed. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, uh, I think you, you definitely can't rely on your first swords to actually hit. So you really have to make sure you get yourself in a position where they're either slowing down their clock by dealing with your creatures with bolts. Um, so you can try to draw into that second bolt or something like Scrib Ranger and, and Mum. But it can be tough. You can definitely just lose to a turn one Delva because... Although you gain a massive board advantage on the ground, you just don't find an answer to a Delver. I guess, I think with uh, Oko and uh, more so Dreadhorde in the format, 
Maverick players had to be a lot more patient with their Swords to Plowshares on a turn one Delver because turn two Dreadhorde was the real threat. So you take a few more hits than Delver than you'd expect before you actually fire off a removal spell on it, making sure your opponent didn't have the Dreadhorde. So now, obviously, that pressure's gone, which is really nice. Uh, and a lot of the ground creatures like Hooting Mandrels or Tarmogoyf can kind of be answered in just your bigger creatures, uh, like Nether Reliquary. Um, that uh, you you really only have to care about an early Delver with your removal spells, which is kind of nice. So uh, I do feel like the, the pressure of the matchup has been taken off a lot, but you definitely need to respect a turn one Delver. Uh, and also respecting counter magic. That's probably the big thing, not just firing off a swords because you have the open mana. Uh, I'm a big fan of sometimes untapping and make sure I can play around Daze um, or Spell Pierce if I saw that in in you know in that mm -hmm. deck. Um, and what are you doing like when because in my experience the matchup always comes down to you you make these early trades and eventually they they get a threat like for example true name nemesis that you can't really interact with and if your life total is low enough or they they have like reach then it, it's gonna be problematic and in the past usually what we used to do is like we we leverage equipment right we either got sorts of fire and ice for the protection from blue and red or better skull to just like race it in, in the air is, is that still how it works or are there any kind of like new toys that we can use in maverick yeah uh questing beast is obviously a pretty nice one probably oh, one of my favorite cards to sweet. cast and uh chat always goes yeah pretty pretty mental when it when it comes Questing off, beast but, uh, is just a reality smasher let's let's face it <laughs> it, it is when it has exalted smasher. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't tap. It's just like it's like the, the reality smash always comes to play tapped and attacking. Questing beast is like not even comes to play tapped and attacking. It's like comes to play hitting your opponent. It's just done. It's there. But yeah, jokes aside, I just wanted to try and bring you down a peg. But it, it is an amazing <laughs> addition to the deck. Actually, um, I was kind of skeptical when I started seeing it pop up here and there because kind of it is pretty bad against Caracas, but you can protect it with your own Caracas, which is actually quite nice. And it is just a really powerful card. It attacks through a lot of the kind of idiots that just gum up the board in kind of fair mirrors and stuff um i've seen it attack through lilian emblem zombies and field of the dead so many times actually it's kind of real and uh yeah it just hits so hard yeah especially the delver decks that are playing young pyromancer uh, yeah those one ones point. can sometimes be a, a huge issue with getting through with your big knight uh so mm -hmm. having questing beast to really just yeah kind of put those aside and just swing straight at the face is is really nice and also because true name nemesis right if they ever end up blocking <laughs> exactly yeah hilarious i love seeing it on the geo have you killed that uh Protantus with it when they didn't see it and they just like blocked and it's like oh death touch and damage can't be prevented like what the but, fuck's going on here i think i've had an opponent block with progenitus and then pause and then take it away <laughs> like unblock <laughs> yeah i sadly haven't got the goods yet i actually had a really annoying one where my opponent's uh Ah, oh, they stole my Questing Beast. No, they, they played Questing Beast, and they had an Ice Fang Quartal, and I didn't even think of it, and I blocked the Ice Fang Quartal with my Scrib Ranger, because it had Pro Blue, and then my oh. Scrib Ranger died, and I was like, ah, oh, MTGO, like, obviously MTGO <laughs> bug. And then I was like, wait a second, ah, oh, damage can't be prevented. Ah, oh, I just lost my Scrib Ranger. So big. So uh, nice. But yeah, Forget what I said about Huntmaster of the Files, like, Questing Beast is the ultimate memory card. Yeah, which uh, yeah does give us some game against True Name. Uh, another card is Clothis, which allows us to clock them a little bit and gain some of that life back. Um, so True Name only really deals the the one damage, which is nice. Um, 
It is tough as more players are trying out cards like Skyclave Apparition instead of a card like Council's Judgment, because obviously True Name is a card you can't hit with Skyclave. So sometimes you just realize a turn three True Name comes down, you go, wow, I actually need to beat this clock because I don't have a way to deal with it. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Man, I am just feeding it. Sorry, I, I can't. I can't stop myself. I think actually, <laughs> right after this, I'm gonna I'm gonna load up like Green Red Maverick, and I'm gonna questing beast a couple of people. Oh, that, <laughs> I, I, I feel like a little child. I, like I'm supposed to be like like a host and producer on this podcast, but here I'm like just like oh yeah, keep talking. I, I, I satisfy my desire for green white cards. <laughs> no, it's awesome. You you definitely have the uh, the better results with for, with, with our Maverick than I do. So if anyone here is a master then I'm give, definitely giving it to you. <laughs> I, I, got, I got like four times as many years playing with it. So I guess that would just like come naturally. So give it like another year. Like I I got my first GP cash for worth Maverick after like playing it for 10 years. So you, you still have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> what was the uh, GP you did the big uh, report on? I think it was on oh, the source. That was GP Amsterdam. That was my second GP ever. GP Amsterdam 2011. That was, wow. Oh, I, I'm going to link to it. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into it because that's, yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about me. I already talked enough about me. But this is this is the GP, the almost awesome best GP of my entire life because... Is it the one where you almost played high tide? Yeah, I almost played high tide together yeah. with Mark Vogt. And then like right before the night, of the, of the, uh, right before day one, I decided, hey, this is this is not the way to go. And I switched back to Maverick and oh, I've, been, I've been feeling it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I can even like from memory tell you about every single match I played, but that's that's not what we're here for. <laughs> but you you actually played it uh, really 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 well in the most not the most recent Legacy Challenge, but one of in in the most recent ones, right? You, I think it was your very first Legacy Challenge you ever played, and you immediately top eight it with the deck, right? Yeah, which is very cool. Uh, challenges aren't the greatest <laughs> for Australians because the Saturday night ones start at ten p.m. and the sun and the Sunday challenges start at. 1am on Mondays which is tough so um, if you do do well you kind of have to call in sick I guess for, for Monday work <laughs> but oh, so is that your official recommendation? it is not win. it is not <laughs> no I love my job uh, but yeah really cool to see um, it was actually a uh, Twitch uh, like the points that people get from chat I, I put up one for 25,000 points that you could make me do a challenge and immediately uh, Jack, who is a, a player from Melbourne, put in two. So I had to do, <laughs> to do challenges. But it was really fun. It was good to play. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different with recording and streaming because challenges have such a big break between uh, the matches. Uh, I think we were pretty good with time, so we didn't have too much time between, but played a lot of GeoGuessr, which is fun. Oh, that was and great too, yeah. That was uh, really good because there's a lot of people in chat from all around the world. So you'd get little like, hey, I've actually been here. Or I, I know that language from like signs and stuff. But I liked uh, how like every other place that we saw, you were like, this looks Eastern European. Everyone was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's like palm trees. It's like, yeah, this is Eastern European. Like what? <laughs> um, but yeah, very, very lucky to go uh, make the top eight for, my, for the first challenge. Awesome. And we can find that on YouTube as well, right? Yeah, you can. You can find it on YouTube at Dukes on Twitch, which is cool. That's great, man. Moving on to another question. This one comes to us from our good friend Scott, good brother. Dukes, I've been a fan of Green-White Reclaimer for a while, but with the Oko banning, I feel like the best Maverick deck will now shift back to a Knight of the Reliquary build. Do you see any upside to playing a more land-focused Reclaimer build or a hybrid of Maverick and Reclaimer? Why or why not? And I guess we, also, we already went over your favorite pet cards of all times. 
Yeah, I think the favorite pet card has to be green suns because then then it could be any green creature, right? Is that a pet card? That's like that's like Callum saying, "Oh, my favorite pet card is brainstorm." <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll yeah, have a good think about that. Yeah. Well, I guess we already kind of covered those earlier. No, we we covered but the I mean, kind of ones that don't make it. Oh, you, you mean the pets you see at the shelter but you don't actually pick up? Well, Ooh, yeah, there's lots is. of animals in Maverick. They can be all pets. <laughs> I would have a pet, yeah. uh, Sally Pride Mage, I think. I'm actually going to shout out uh, Zell's Persecution. Ooh, Julian's mm. finally not feeling the Maverick. <laughs> I, exactly, I almost wanted to say something. I, I'm, I'm the, the uber green-white Maverick purist, but yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's just, That's fair. Did you, did you, did awesome you ever play like, a, a really five-color Maverick? Like five-color Punishing Maverick, splashing for Plague Engineer, Zell's Persecution, and Oko? No, I didn't. Uh, but I know that Mark Strassman... Uh, AKA uh, Strasbetty. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling so bad for you actually taking the question seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Has definitely played some four and five color decks and, and done pretty well with them. Uh, nice. I think it was like a mix of like Punishing Fires and like Middling Mages. Really cool to see. Love to hear. The mana base was, was something, but he got it to work, which is very cool. Nice. Yeah. At this point, I d- might as well just call it like Cube Maverick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the Green White Reclaimer deck is really interesting. I played it on stream. And definitely found myself playing the deck as a Maverick player where I was wanting to build out the board when I should have been doing things like Turn 1 Reclaimer and then hold up uh, and get Flagstones and start building out my mana that way. Uh, so I, I do think that the the land base definitely helps you against decks like uh, Control where you do have Field of the Dead as a nice win condition. Um, it's a really interesting deck. I know that uh, FP Pauls was a big fan of it. Uh, it was pretty big during uh, the Dreadhorde metagame. Um, I haven't seen it too much recently, but uh, it's yeah, it's a tough one. I think you just got to make sure that because it does have such a good mid to late game, you just got to build the deck in a way that you can control a bit of the the early game and make sure you're not just dying to combo, so you do have your chance to get to field. Yeah, that has been my experience as well. Um, I got the deck as a nation deck list, and I played it, I think, in one or two leagues, and I had no idea how awesome Flagstones plus Reclaimer actually is. Because that way you really ramp up, right? And I almost felt like the Dark Depth combo was just like something you did on the side. Whereas ramping into Field of the Dead eventually, that felt like a big game plan that they had to try and stop, which is like super hard to stop in the first place. And then while they do that, you can also make a 2020 and, and crush in at like moment's notice. Yeah, it's really nice to have the backdoor win of Dark Depths, which has been showing up in more Maverick lists in the mana base, um, which is just a nice way to have like a secondary win condition because a lot of decks just can't deal with it once they've used their sorts of plowshares or maybe brazen burrows on your early creatures. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dark Depths is just so strong. Even when people, especially when people don't expect it, but obviously when people do expect it, they have to play in a way that they let your early creatures go so that they have an answer later on. But then you might just overtake the game with your early creatures. <laughs> And that's the beauty of having two different game plans. That's that's something I always encounter in decks that I enjoy. It's the same for elves. So you have like the grind plan and the combo plan. And, and when you have something like that in Maverick as well, it, it just feels really good. I guess the the other way to do it is to to eventually have the threat of a giant knight with like two mother activations and a script ranger. So you can just like get in there and be like, hey, hit you for nine, hit you for nine, game over. But of course, the, the 2020 is just like on another power level to that. But that's that's how we used to do it in Maverick. And I think it still comes up quite a bit, right? That just like these games that end up in these stalemates and eventually you, you just have another, enough mother activations to feel confident and being able to proactively get in there. Yeah, exactly. Scoop ranger, 
a very nice card. A card that I think <laughs> not people, not enough people respect until they get got by Scrib Ranger. <laughs> Every time you go to bed, you check under your bed. It's like, oh, is there a Scrib Ranger? Like, no, okay, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So, moving on. The eternally uh, surprised, here's another question. How do you feel about playing birds instead of Hyrak in lists that splash red or black? Is it worth it for the extra mana stability and being a bit less affected by Plague Engineer over the Exalted trigger? I think that's one of the most contested things in most Maverick lists. Like, uh, it used to be everybody just like plays four Hyraks and then sometimes like a bird. But these days, like I see all kinds of mixes. I've even seen something like four birds, one hierarch. Uh, what are you currently going with in, in your different versions of the deck? Uh, so I usually go with four and one. Uh, but with Plague Engineer around and a few other sweeper effects, like a little Terminus decks, I moved down to three and one bird. Um, I do like having a mana dog that produces either red or black within those versions. Um, because I have seen like uh, Bant Maverick sorry julian with uh leovold okay. as a green sun's target but no black mana source um or even like a abzan version with leovold but no trop uh which can be pretty tough because relying on your early creatures to cast those spells isn't always going to be a choice you're going to have to either draw it and just make sure you draw into a mana dock after that or get lucky in green suns for it so i do like making sure that i can cast all my spells that i'm playing and then birds has upsides with things like mother of runes. You can buy a lot of time against Delva um, or other flies like Merit Lage. Um, you can with Scrib Ranger. I didn't pick it up straight away, but Chad picked it up. Is you can re- you can um, return a chain lightning because you can tap bird for red, <laughs> untap it, and tap it. Which That's I wish nice. I saw. Yeah. Um, and then even in versions where you're playing Leyline, but you're not playing black, you can use Scrib and Bird to actually hardcast a Leyline, which is just nice to have the option. Um, but I think that even though Bird doesn't give Exalted, um, in the versions where you are splashing a color, it is pretty relevant because um, against a deck like Death and Taxes or a Delver build, getting Wastelanded off your black source early on because you've decided to abrupt decay something is pretty real. And, you know, there's been a lot of games where I've had black cards at hand but no black mana. That, yeah, I do want to play the, the one Bird. I've tried out two, but I think one's kind of the sweet spot. Awesome, awesome. It's interesting that you mentioned um, the lack of Exalted and, and getting Wastelanded, because my impression has always been that the more colors you splash, or usually you just splash one color, right, in Maverick, you become a little bit more defensive, because you, you also get to add these these reactive cards like Celeste Persecution or Plague, Plague Engineer and stuff, and that also gives a little less value to the overall super aggressive plan that you would usually have with like a pure green white list that tries to wasteland as hard as it can and get in there for damage, damage, damage. And yeah, but, but by splashing these extra colors, you, you're you slowing down your game plan a little bit, but giving you more options. And I think in lists like that, it makes kind of like quite a lot of sense to maybe even go for, like you mentioned, two birds. I, I wouldn't hate that. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Like, Tom Herzog was playing at the end of last year and 5 0 with a green-white build was playing five basics, which is cool. I don't think I've ever seen up to five basics. Uh, but he was playing a really old-school list with, like, two Kusali Pride Mage and, like, I think two birds. Um, I, I a big smile all over my face. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely been trending to play out all my games like I'm green-white and try to not show the extra colors that I'm playing in game one if I don't have to. Um so, you know, you, you can be ahead on DNT and then play a Plague Engineer to really close it out, or you can just try to play it out without showing that you're on black. Um, 
I had a game against Doomsday that I was lucky enough to not show red in game one and then be able to pyroblast the Thassa's oh. Oracle in game two. Oh my god, oh my that god. That was really you cool. You should do that on stream, like like in an extra tournament or something. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to find it, because it is, it is recorded, which is nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I find that sometimes if you are splashing a color, you got to make sure that when you're you're not putting yourself in a position where you know you're going to use that color once and then get taken off it for the rest of the game so that's just another reason why i like bird but uh forked bolt has been a card that's been getting some some play recently that's been getting me a lot tell me about it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in in speaking of uh, switching up a couple of your creatures depending on their creature type what do you think about running give off runes um either in combination with mother runes or entirely over it is is that something that you're considering or are you like very firmly on mother pretty firmly on mum i think the uh the upside of mum being able to target herself as well just means that your opponent has to really apply you apply a lot of pressure to your opponent having to actually find removal in that that early turns um, or find a sweeper like Plague. Uh, Plague just really hard because it's it's very tough to try to like waste sand your opponent out to keep them off Plague. And there's no real good ways to buff creatures. Um, I was actually playing around with... Oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's a legendary creature. It's, uh, I believe, from Aether Revolt. It's two and a green. When it comes into play, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on up to two target creatures you control. And then creatures with... Uh, Plus plus one counters on them, tap for oh, green mana. Julian's expecting yeah, me to yeah. know it now. I played it in cube just like two I days ago. I think it's something Renegade. Renegade, yeah, yeah it's, it's something Renegade. I, I can see it right in front of me. It's like this elf or something, and he's like stretching out, out his arm. Yeah, yeah, I know which one you mean. Which is pretty fun. It's also legendary, Rickshaw. so you can like return Rickshaw. it. There we go, Rickshaw, uh, which is yeah, a legendary creature, so you can like return it with Krakus, replay it, get more counters. But I just found that it was, you know, if your opponent has Plague Engineer out, it's not doing anything because your creature's already dead. Uh, and then like Gideon Emblem is a bit too late as well. Um, you just kind of got to play into it, unfortunately, and just hope that you can get there before then. Yeah, and fortunately you, you have more creatures that survive it. Uh, something I've been trying to do sometimes is when I play against uh, super control heavy builds, I would sometimes take out all my noble hierarchs and then I'm like somewhat less vulnerable to it, but you still like your, your Thalia will die, but there's only one Thalia that's ever gonna die, right? And and then you can try to sort of plowshares it. Unfortunately, mom dies with it, so yeah, I yeah, I've had some big blowouts, especially when it's like you know the classic like turn one noble, turn two mom and Thalia, and then it's like plague engineer. So it's like okay, it's a three for one, and then I'm gonna spend a sword to plowshares on it. It's a four for one. <laughs> My opponent has like six cards. I have like two cards. <laughs> Yeah, the opponent is like, oh, you're so lucky you had that sorts of plowshares. You're like, yeah, I'm so lucky I just got four for one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I I agree. I also kind of like it with mom. Um, I I just wish I could like it even more now because mom is, is one of those cards that really makes a deck tick and it kind of sometimes hurts me when I see that people are cutting back on her. But it, yeah, let's not yeah. go there. <laughs> How many moms are you playing? Uh, I'm playing three. Okay. There was a there was a time where I was running Sylvan Safekeeper as a Green Suns target that could also protect uh, straight away, but I didn't like that in the early game. It's obviously a little bit rough losing a land just to try to keep some of your creatures alive. Um, there are small upsides like you can play your hate bears out like Thalia and Canonist against a deck like Ant, and then play around uh, Massacre by like sacking your your one planes. But I just <laughs> it's, it, it's not it's not the same, unfortunately. It's pretty insane against like classic miracles, right? When when you get to protect your Galactique. Definitely, yeah. Especially uh, 
with something like Teferi Bounce is still targeted. Uh, Council's Judgment can be a little bit rough because that's a great way oh, to yeah. deal with a card like Teague. But yeah, turn one moment to turn two Teague gives you a lot of game against Bant Miracles, which can be a pretty tough matchup. Yeah, yeah. So let's put your money where your mouth is. There's a big <laughs> tournament tomorrow in Australia on Magic Online. I don't care. It's it's a big, giant, unknown event. Which version of Maverick are you playing? That's a tough one. I think if I was uh, a player, I would look at um, what do I That's have? That's why you're on the podcast. <laughs> we put you <laughs> tough questions. That's fair. Okay. Uh, okay. So what do I? I'll ask myself. What do I have the most experience with? I probably wouldn't play like a four color version of Maverick or maybe Bant Maverick because I don't have too much player experience with them or, or play time. Um, green white, I do like. I think it's very resilient and consistent, and it's got a nice mana base. And I think when it comes to a big tournament, taking a lot of stress. Um, out of it is by making sure that you're going to just have a nice mana base that can cast everything you want to cast. Uh, I'd probably try to do some sort of metagame analysis to see if uh, I do need cards like Thoughtseize against some of the combo or control decks, or if I do need Plague Engineer, um, because Green-White can still have some issues with Go-Wide strategies, uh, especially even if you don't have like an answer to a, a turn two young Pyromancer. It could be pretty tough. Um, I'm a big fan of Decay, and play Gitchenier and Thoughtseize, so I'd probably grow, go with Green-White-Black, but I'd make sure that I have a, a two-buy-you-one Scrubland split in the mana base to have three jewels and three black sources. Um, yeah, I think Green-White-Black's pretty nice, especially for big tournaments. I think there's going to be a lot of Delver, and having that extra removal in Abrupt Decay is really handy. It's just an issue for going for those early black sources. That's why I like to have a, a few copies instead of just the one-on-one -one split. So the answer is Absan. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is Absan. Are you going to send us a list? Because I, I want to link it in the show notes so people can basically give it a try if they want to pick up Maverick for an unknown meta or have never tried it before. So so don't put like any crazy unoffensive foremost cards in there we talked about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, I'll probably play the same uh, build that I took to the, the challenge top eight. So I'll oh, awesome. I, I like it when somebody believes in the list. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, in speaking of big tournaments, um, Scott's good brother, he actually sent us a question, I think for the last episode already, but it was like too big of a thing that I didn't just like want to go over it like very quickly. And that is the question, can we talk about the best deck choices for a super high stakes event? You know, like the 40k, the 100k that's coming up in the US, or really any kind of big tournament that you're going into. And I guess the hallmark of a big tournament is that you really don't have all that much information about the meta game, like unlike, unlikely, uh, unlike you know, like your local meta game, or even sometimes if you go to to like a smaller and smaller MKM, you know, people are going to be like that. If you go to the 100k in the US uh, by the end of this year, I think October third, how would you pick your deck? And I think that's just like such an interesting question because. I mean, most people will probably play what they have because Legacy is an expensive format. It's not like in Magic Online. You're like, oh, I'm going to play Delve, I'm going to play Storm, I'm going to play Eldrazi, whatever, I got it. In paper, you probably like have a very limited selection of decks you can pick from, but there's still choices to be made, right? How do you build your sideboard? How do you build your mana base? How greedy do you want to be? I see all these like sliding variables that you can adjust to, to come up with a perfect deck list for, for your tournament. And... That's the kind of micro-tuning that you can even do, uh, even if you just left like a single deck. And that's something 
I want to talk about here. Uh, guys, do, do you have any kind of like heuristics or any kind of general approach for whenever there's like a big important event coming up, um, how you end up on a deck list? Other than like drinking and like putting it together <laughs> in the morning. Actually, actually, all my best tournament results have come from drinking heavily the night before. So that's step one. Um, <laughs> the, the eternal weekend we both top eighted. I lost game one, round one, and almost dropped it so I can go back and sleep in the hotel. <laughs> uh, my head was on the table. Um, we were out till about 5 a.m. drinking. So that's step one. You got to be able to do that. But uh, I do have some heuristics. Uh, it's actually been so long since I've played a proper like big event at all. Um, GP Belonging was the last one, and that was I didn't put any testing in really or very little, so it's a bad example. But with enough time, you need to. Well, at the moment, like there's so many sets gonna, are going to come out for the 100k, so I would be like conscious that uh, Modern Horizons 2 especially could really change the format. Um, every set these days could change the format, so you need to be kind of willing to change things around as it goes on the fly. But when you're close to the time, you want to get in the reps. Um, if you have all the options of decks available to you, I would start out with something more familiar to you, but you think is also good and make your way through the familiar things first. If nothing sticks out to you, then you can move on. But if something that you're used to and you know pretty well and familiar with uh, like is doing well, then I'd probably try and like stick to that. I think the... Um, tiering things is not very useful when the format is pretty open as i believe it is now like um okay so you, in tier one you can have delver you can have blue based control decks you can have doomsday you can have elves um, as a few examples there's probably more in tier two it's quite clear set as well but within those tiers i don't think like people often you often hear people say tier 1.5 tier 2.2 whatever it doesn't really make sense um familiarity and what suits your style really makes up that half a percentage of between tiers or whatever. So um, keep going with that. And then you do want to do this metagame analysis, as Duke said. So he said if there's like, if it's a format where he wants thoughts eases, say, for example, like combo is very popular, I guess. If there's a lot of doomsday, as there is right now, you want to be doing that. If there's a lot of things weak to Plague Engineer, because elves is popular. So him saying he wants to splash black makes complete sense to me, because the format does warrant that right now, I think. And so you want to be looking at those kind of things. Um, you don't want to sell yourself short by like uh, choosing a deck that you're very familiar with, but is stuck in like the lower tiers of things as well. So there's somewhere to find in the middle. It's uh, it's hard to say without actually having the deck in front of you. But even in this format, we're seeing stuff like food chain has been like just come out of nowhere and been putting up so many results online. Uh, Masasabi won like a challenge and came second the weekend before. And now the deck put up like very good results from this past weekend and the weekend before. So that to me is a signal that one, it was kind of viewed as a like a lower tier deck and kind of a bit of a, a pet deck that people just enjoy. But he kind of rebuilt it with uh, Imperial Recruiters and stuff. And um, yeah, it just seems to be very good. So there's there's still new ways to build decks in this format right now. Um, I'm kind of rambling. Uh, there's just so many sliding scales, as Julian said, that it's it's hard to say it without like actually having a deck in front of you and then going more into it right now. Do you guys yeah, agree? Yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, you also talked about like how about innovation, right? And I think most people who who feel kind of lost, they are really not looking to innovate. They, I think that's there's very few people in legacy who actually feel but competent is my, maybe not even the best word who. F who have the guts to 
say, hey, I'm going to innovate and I'm going to go for, for, for this new thing in this tournament, mostly because people don't really have the time to, to put into testing uh, unless they really just want to show up with something out of left field to a tournament and be like, okay, let's see, I, I guess this might work. I think most people are scared of picking something a little bit weird and, and they want the feeling of, hey, I picked something solid mm-hmm. and I want to play it well. And they're just like unsure what actually would be something solid. And I guess another heuristic that kind of plays into this, and this is one of the things that you feel especially strongly about, and I agree with you, that you want to give yourself the chance to get lucky. Um, but how do you think, to give some like kind of pushback to that, uh, how do you feel like that evolves over like larger tournaments? So I can see the, the heuristic like standing up, especially in kind of like five to eight, nine round events, because you do get luckier. But do you think you could play a deck with um, higher variables over like a 15 round tournament? Do you, do you factor that in? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the main reasons you want to do that. Like in, okay. in small tournaments, I, I, I don't even think that... that I mean, in it's smaller tournaments, it. It, it matters... It, I mean, it matters as well, right? Mm-hmm. But in smaller tournaments, you you usually like know the meta game pretty well. But what what you already talked about, yeah, that's um, or like you mentioned, the idea of giving yourself the chance to get lucky. That's one of my fundamental things that I've built my entire quote unquote career on. Mm-hmm. I I want to come to a tournament and I want to be like, I'm beating this, this, and this deck, and I'm probably losing really hard to that deck. And I think one of the best examples of that was MKM Barcelona 2017, where I arrived at the tournament. Uh, and it was like a really important tournament because that determined the top eight, whatever, MKM end of season standings, which like was for quite a lot of money. And I just like told the coverage people, I'm here with elves, I'm beating everything, but I'm losing to anything sneak show. And I lost one match in the Swiss, that was sneak show. And I lost the quarterfinals, that was sneak show. And that's what I came here for, like, that's how I built the deck. And I could have built it in another way, right? I could have built it in a way that um, I, I have a better game against Sneak Show, but it's not worth it. It's just like one of those matchups. And I'd rather avoid it and do really well in like the 90-something percent of other matchups. And I, I'm, there's nobody who ever wins a tournament without getting lucky. But if you build your entire deck to be like as 50-50 as possible against anything, there's no, you know, there's no variance. And you, f- you fucking, fucking really, really need variants. That's why I always keep saying I'd rather win the tournament and like not top eight, 10 other ones than to always be like, oh, top 16, maybe top eight. Like that's not, not what I want to be doing. And I think if you build your deck like that, you can play well, you can have a good deck, but you still need something on top and you need to get lucky. And you can get lucky through top decks, but that's something that can happen in any kind of deck, no matter the way you build it. But you can also get lucky in the matchup. And I think you really, really, really got to build your deck in a way that you can get lucky with matchups. And that doesn't mean like, oh, you go totally crazy. You, you, you put like the craziest cards in your sideboard or you even like main deck some of them. No, what that means is you consciously sacrifice a couple of matchups if that's what you do. Like it could even be something as crazy as going without Graveyard Hate if the metagame is like... That's like I wouldn't recommend that right now because we these days in Legacy we have really strong graveyard decks, but it's something you could do in the past. And these days, for example, you could go without, um, well, yeah, <laughs> in elves, it's um, not really having an answer to anything sneak and show because that deck is like super good against us, but in other decks, it could also be like, oh, I'm I'm probably like super dead to fast combo, but not that many people are really going to play fast combo, so I'm I'm willing to like dedicate those slots to to shoring up the Delver matchup. That's, I, I always keep going back. Like, whenever I build my decks, I'm like, 
I want to be good against Dava. And that's the number one thing I care about. It's it's Dava, it's whatever flavor of mid-range control there is, and then usually having some kind of game against combo decks. Uh, and you know graveyard decks but that's really it and i when i build a sideboard and when i build a deck i really only think about the four or five most played decks and i basically ignore anything else and then i show up to the tournament and i hope that the matchups go my way there's more that goes into that but that's basically um what i'm working with do you, do you think those principles which i i do agree with they are like especially relevant to you and your kind of deck choices because i don't think they completely will apply to someone playing delver uh, for example because they're kind of get lucky play against the things you want to and do not want to they have stuff like force of will which is just generic answer to everything so i think the same principle can apply you can kind of cut some costs but like they do have the options to kind of have game against everything and have this level of consistency as well to I think this is why I do believe that you see more Delver and Blue decks in like uh, 15 round event top eights than you see kind of in smaller events. Although that's based on like so many people play it in the smaller events like Challenges Online at the moment. But I think you see more weird stuff top eight the Challenges than you would see top eighting GPs if they were as common. So there is a convergence at some point where all the things meet where like you make yourself get lucky with uh, especially sideboarding choices and deck choices. But at some point a deck is like consistent plus um generically powerful enough to not need to make those kind of concessions as well yeah but that's the thing right that's why i put the graphic in here and that's um also what i'm gonna put in the show notes so you definitely you really gotta check out the graphic to get a better understanding of what i'm talking about (laughs) <laughs> but you, you see it over here in the show notes, right? That's something that Toby Henke did. Toby Henke, a um, very famous uh, Magic player. Now, f- he has been working on the coverage team for Channel, I think Channel Fireball and Wizards for like 10 years or something. He top aided the Pro Tour at some point. Nobody remembers that. Maybe he made that up when he says that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember. <laughs> you remember? I don't even remember. <laughs> and he really put this this entire concept of getting lucky into into numbers and that's like the best way to illustrate it he looked at your you look at your deck and you build your deck to be 70 percent against deck a and 30 percent against deck b now you're like okay if i only play against deck a that's amazing right yeah you're you're gonna be like undefeated uh, the highest percentage of times of all the outcomes now if you play a lot like the more you play against b the more you play against your bad matchup, obviously, the more your expected win percentage goes down. Now, here's the thing. Even if you face deck B way more than you expected it to be, say you face them at a 50-50 level, you face the same number of good matchups and bad matchups, overall, you're still better than the deck that's built 50-50 against both decks. I, I'm probably like re- explaining this really badly, but this is such a core important concept and I, I really can only like recommend anyone to check out these graphics. If you build your deck to have more varied matchups, I guess, to, to, to have more um, polar... That, that's the best, best way to put it. If you build your deck to have more polarized matchups, even if you don't guess the metagame correctly most of the time you will still do better than the person who builds their deck to be 50 50 against anything and it's just like he put it into into graphs and it's the best thing i've ever seen as an explanation of my deck building philosophy because i'm so heavily opposed to to the 
idea of mediocrity, which <laughs> to me is just like the person who always top 16s or top 32s or whatever, what big, how big the tournament is. And I see that reflected in this magic legacy philosophy of, oh, I'm going to be 50-50 against anyone and then I'm going to be the better player. And I think that's that's the hallmark of a plateauing player who who just doesn't have the guts to be like, hey, I can get lucky and getting lucky is a skill. I don't know. It, 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 it's a very American thing. Like, Everybody's like, 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 oh, getting, I getting want to earn it. I really like that quote, actually. <laughs> getting lucky is very much a skill because you, you build your deck to put yourself in these positions. It's it's quite clear to me. So Yeah, I, that's... that. <laughs> so, sorry for, for like the comment about America, but I always like... <laughs> when you follow American sports, everybody's like, oh, I trained so hard. I earned this. I didn't want to win that way. It's like, yeah, maybe you like the final thing that happened was lucky, but all the way to get there is like still all your work. And if you just like... If you got the win it in for GP top eight and you get a great matchup, that's like part of your of your reward for playing a deck that has a great matchup in the first place and not playing that fifty fifty deck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess it also comes around. So, well, yeah, I agree with the whole sentiment on the whole. Um, and you can go further and create like a deck that's just completely tuned to. If there is a dominant deck in the metagame, like if Delver is just by far the best deck, Delver is very hard to attack. But um, you could find a deck that just like blindsides Delver, like actually does, not like Reddit says their deck does, like actually beats it. <laughs> um, and then you you have like a ten percent matchup against some of the lower tier decks, whatever. You'll probably take that every time rather than playing a fifty fifty deck. Yeah. By the way, um, that that's also a quote from Toby in here, and I think that really sums it up much better than I could have ever done it. I should have actually probably like read it out before. Oh yeah, this and, is perfect. <laughs> Yeah, this really is, if you want a TLDR of what I just explained, Toby writes it down as, if you play a deck with good and bad matchups, and you get lucky with your pairings to some degree, your chance to win the tournament increases more than it decreases if you get unlucky to the same degree. And that's just, like, think about it. That's really just maximizing your odds of winning the tournament. And that's why I always keep going on about winning the tournament because that's I, I was really actually the only thing that counts. The other bit, the, the even simpler bit with a picture of Squelch next to it. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, this is really nice and clean and simple. This is great. And I was like, oh, no, it's a different bit. So the other bit that I was reading was when you play a deck with only even matchups, you can never get lucky, which is basically the smart way of saying what Julian just said. Yeah, but that's also the way that that makes people think, oh, yeah, this sounds smart, but is it really? Whereas it is, <laughs> it is, because the, the, I, I can only keep going on about this forever because it's such such a core central belief for me in anything I ever did in something competitive is when I feel going for more variance is overproportionally better than going for less variance, then you want to go for more variance. And I think... That's where I want to be. I want to have more variants. I don't need an insane amount of variants because eventually you also want your play skill and like your, your smart deck choices and stuff to matter. But you want a, a healthy amount of variants because we never really get to play as many like rounds for your skill to really only matter. So you want some kind of variants to, to be built in there. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from all of these. And if you really want to see it by the numbers, Toby is much better. Like Numbers translate badly over our podcast. Let me just tell you, the numbers say it's better to do that. And if you don't believe it, check it out there. And I guess you can also like just like 
Pastor Toby on Twitter <laughs> because he's probably like happy to talk about that as well. Duke, sorry. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, one thing I was going to say. Oh, gone. Sorry, one thing I was going to say was, uh, what do you think about if you are quite good with a grindy deck like lands or blue eye control, and also quite good at something like blue red delver? Um, does the uh, appeal of a faster deck for a big tournament is that a, a big reason to go with one over the other? Or do you think it's not as big as it it should be? I think if you're like you're really you think you're you're really evenly skilled with both of them, and you think both of them are like as good as each other in the tournament. Like if those both conditions were true, then yeah, I'd play a faster deck. You get more time off playing, even though we go there to play, which is fun. Uh, like having time off between the rounds is obviously a big plus. So yeah. But I think it's kind of rare for all of those things to be true. Like someone's going to be a bit better with Miracles or Lands or a bit better with Delver. There'll be some exceptions, but then with those exceptions, the decks are probably better than each other in the metagame. It's hard yeah. to say. But yeah, if it's true, I think, yeah, you could go for a faster one. I think it is, like without more context, just better. Yep. So we should play Oops, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you just win really quickly, yeah. so you get all the time in the next round to prepare yourself. Something that also factors into um, whether you want to play like a, a fast proactive deck or not, um, to me also ties back to to the aspect I just talked about of quote unquote like gambling on your matchups, and that is if you have a strong proactive aggressive game plan, and you know aggressive can be like attacking or I, I don't know combo or what have you. If you have that then you can really patch a lot of holes you might still have. Because if you've got the potential to lock out the game by turn two, it doesn't matter whether you have like that specific sideboard card. Like If your deck is capable to produce really insane draws like by turn two or maybe even three, then you can be okay not having as many cards that you need for a certain matchup. And that also goes back to what, what Kedem just said about um, Delva and how Delva can like get away with like skimping on, on stuff. And yeah, that's that, that's pretty much what, what I feel like about Delva. And that's part of why I think Delva is so good and why people often lie to themselves when they say they have a good matchup against Delva. Because Delva still has like turn one Delva, Days, Wasteland, Bolt, Delva again. You know, Delva still has, Delva always has that option. So Delva has like a, the floor of Delva is insanely high, even if you don't have the necessary interaction that you might need for, for example, Dredge. You can still, you know, day stare, careful study, then you wasteland them. You, you, you know how those games sometimes go where it's like, how did Delva actually win the first game against Dredge? It's like, yeah, Delva just did the Delva thing. And that's something I also really appreciate. And that's, that, that's something that I'm heavily looking for in any kind of big tournament that I would play. So, so really just going back to Scott's original question, from my side, gamble to a healthy amount on your matchups. And I mean, gamble, when I say gamble, take an educated guess. Like It's not like, oh, I'm just going to randomly not play Graveyard Hate. If you think that's what you could get away with, consider it. I probably wouldn't do it right now, but it's just an example. And the second thing is play something proactive. Play something that, that has an oops, I win button, even if you don't draw whatever you need for that specific matchup. Put the fear into your opponent. And I guess all of that comes down to don't play miracles. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I will add one more thing um, that I found is like it's it's a kind of obvious point, but I found every time I do this, it it helps me so much more than I ever imagined. Is just practice to learn like the mechanics of your deck and know so you can autopilot a lot of things. Um, autopiloting isn't a good thing to always be doing. Like you can definitely play too fast and do things and not think 
lines properly through. But if you can autopilot like which lands are a usual sequence to play, um, or you can autopilot what kind of how you would cantrip say or how you would like bait spells from your opponent, or just learn similar play patterns from your deck against most of the main decks, then the energy and like the brain power you can serve in the actual tournament is is amazing like uh some of my best results in tournaments are when i've played the deck quite a lot and i i don't need to think about sideboarding unless i see something weird then i can think about that weird thing rather than actually working out the whole sideboarding as a whole i have all programs in my head already uh, against delver i know that i'm fetching this into that into that for a common sequence all these kind of things like you really really do just give yourself so much more time and energy to think about the things that are unusual in the games you're playing rather than the, the, just the game as a whole. That's a big thing for me. Yeah, I guess to sum that up, um, is the advice is trust yourself, right? Yeah. Because that's well. something I see in, in like great players that are still slow when I sometimes like talk to them after the match about certain situations. I'm like, hey, you've done this like a thousand times. Why, why did it take you so long? And they're like, yeah, I know, but I, I wasn't sure. And I think... I mean, you can do that as long as, as you're not actually playing slow, but it really helps out yourself if you eventually can learn to trust yourself. And if you do trust yourself and you get burned by it because you shouldn't have trusted yourself, at least you learn something. And I mean, that's why we practice, right? That's why we play on Magic Online. That's why we play with our friends. That's why we test. And it sucks when it happens in a tournament, but it's worth a ton to develop that kind of trust into your into your experience and and being like hey i've seen the situations five situation five thousand times and i know i'm gonna do this now otherwise i think if if you play like you know we we know these people who who play like every single round as if it was like their uh, i don't want to say their first game of magic because obviously they're super good but they're thinking everything from the ground up again. I think that's that's so exhausting. I I think that's not something I can recommend. Yeah. Cool. I will say um, Scott's question was we kind of went into like what it takes to kind of prepare a deck for an event, but he also asked like, can we talk about the best deck choices for a super high stakes event? So it might be like a comment on how the format is right now. Like, what would be the best decks you would take, um, assuming you were good with everything? And like, what would you be preparing for right now? Although, keep in mind, for the for the hundred k, the format will probably change a bit. But the forty k is not too far away. So, what do you think are the top decks right now? I think there can only really be like one or two answers to that, and that to me is like the best flavor of Delva and Doomsday. And the best flavor of Delva might actually be Blue Red Delva. Be I, I've been utterly impressed with Blue Red Delva. I like Red the, Delver the for Blue Red Delva splash for like Clothis and the sideboard. I think that's very good. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that they, they call mm. it like blue, red, and then like capital, yeah. uh, lowercase g. Uh, yeah. They've actually been playing Bone Crusher Giant, which I think is just fantastic. That card is really, really, really just straight up good. And uh, yeah, I'm not surprised to see it start to be played in Legacy finally. It's just like a super pushed, efficient two for one. It's not efficient, sorry. Two mana for shock is not efficient, but it does it does some extra <laughs> cool things. It's just a fantastic card. Um, so I think uh, Sylvia Wataru, like Delver God, um, won the super qualifier. I think was it the last one? The PTQ. They won it with three Bone Crushers main deck. Three main deck. Okay. Yeah. And it I'm actually just good. like on, on. Oh, I can see it here. There's the. Yeah. There's a legacy challenge. MM so. So my card keeps showing up a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty legit. So we'll probably see that. So I, yeah, I agree with you. The best Delver deck I feel right now is uh, like 
blue red base with a small green splash. Um, other than that, like um, yeah, as you said, I think sneak and show is just always quite good. Um, the Delver decks are still not packing like so much count- soft counter magic. JPA put on like a clinic um, in the super qualifier last week. I think going undefeated till the finals when he went to bed because <laughs> the first and second base <laughs> were the same thing. Um, for me, Elves is like on par or with Doomsday and Delver. It's just mm-hmm. kept back by like Plague Engineer being everywhere, but the deck is pretty obscene. It's one of those decks um, where you get a real advantage from your opponent not being familiar with it. And that's actually something I, I also put in the show notes that I just like, skimmed over. Mm-hmm. If you play a lot of Magic Online, always be reminded that the competition you face there is probably going to be a lot harder than what you would encounter like in a big offline tournament, like say a GP day one. I, mean, I was about to ask, be... is, do you feel like players are better or worse against elves online? Sounds like better. Uh, way better, way better. Like when I play offline, so many people still like read the cards or they, you mm-hmm. know, they start to plowshares like a creature when I have firewood simulate when they really they let you untap with it. a Fintorn elves. Never ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, I think don't get discouraged if you're like if you constantly just get two, three twos in Magic Online. That's already really good. Yeah, like, you're a contender to to win like any offline tournament at that point. Three two is like sixty percent, right? Is that before I sound stupid? Yeah, like you're just gonna yeah. keep if you keep doing that. That is a very very good win percentage. So, but yeah, um, I think I've definitely noticed. Like, I've played elves very little myself, but. Um, playing with or watching people playing with it against it in real life and at our london events and stuff you're right um it is a it is a very complex deck when you start to play it yourself you start to see i think it's actually like a bit easier once you learn all the mechanics and the usual lines and stuff than it kind of looks like to someone else like when people do all the tricks and turn all the cards upside down and elves are flying everywhere and there's glimpse of nature's popping off and stuff <laughs> and there's the the william tell music in the background it looks kind of crazy and complicated but actually <laughs> You cast Glimpse, you do how you have some like Nettle Sentinels and Heritage Druid, and then you just keep drawing cards. It's actually not too hard. Um, but it is very hard to know like at what point to use a removal spell on what elf, especially if we if you're not super familiar with it. Like sometimes you need to get the Korean Ranger because it produces like four mana. Um, sometimes you need to kill the Heritage Druid because they're going to like play the third elf and go off from there with the Glimpse. Very often you need to main phase it because they could just like play a guy's cradle and have an extra mana before you have priority. So yeah, um, it it is really hard to play against, especially if you're like a fair deck and not very familiar. And so it will prey on those kind of players. So I think I would actually look to play elves if I was like playing the hundred k next week. Awesome, yeah. awesome, Dukes. You, what do you feel like? Well, if you were super proficient in any kind of deck and legacy, I mean, how many people really are? But just for the sake of the question, what would you pick? Uh, I was going to go with Blue Red Delver as well. I really like that it's a Delver deck that plays basics. I think it's pretty huge. Um, and it also just has a really nice linear game plan, which I'm a huge fan of, um, especially when it comes to tournaments. Uh, but if I was proficient in the deck, I would probably play something like Lands. I think Lands is really mm-hmm. strong. And especially now, there's been a lot of games where I've been attacking their graveyard quite efficiently with cards like Leyland and Scavenging Use to turn off Life in the Loam. But... Exploration and Valakut Exploration are just as, if not more, scary as another engine. So the deck has a lot of resilience against Graveyard Hate that used to really shut down the deck. Uh, and obviously having two win conditions through both Field and a 2020 is really nice. 
Yeah, lo- lo- looks like we all agree on, on Blue Red Diver being the Diver deck of choice right now, which it's been a while since it's been like that, right? There used to be like Rock Diver, Crixus Diver, then we had some kind of like Four Diver, vari- uh, Four Color Diver variants. Uh, what would you even say? Like, what actually made like, the deck has always been a thing, right? It sometimes used to be like much more aggressive. Are Bone Crusher Giant and Brazen Borrower the two things that really made it the, let's say, best deck in the format? <laughs> don't think so i think blue red delver being the best delver deck is a sign of format health um to explain on that uh when the blue red shell is just the best usually because you have to play blue obviously and red like bolt and pyroblast are just so good in the deck i don't i think it's very rare for a non-blue red base deck to be good and then past that you're splashing for like whatever the best kind of threats are so like splashing for clothis is pretty legit and stuff but blue red delver as Duke said, can like play basics. It can. It's also just always a bit more aggressive. Um, the threat suite is that reason. There's not really a better reason. Like blue red could be grindy with Dreadhold Darkness before. It it just always ends up being a bit more aggressively slanted because why you would splash for a threat is because they kind of overpower the threats that blue red has has um, access to, and for that power level to like surpass the threats blue red Delver has access to, they usually are like pretty pushed like oko is a perfect example but it's those push threats are generally are not aggressive unless it's completely broken um i can't really think of an example of that so they are usually grindy so um when blue or delver being an aggressively slanted version of delver is the best deck i think it's quite healthy because there isn't some broken card advantage engine um and it, it's yeah. it's easier to attack them because if they don't have that broken card advantage engine you can use removal spells on the, the creatures and not feel too bad about it so i feel like even though I think something significant would have to happen to Delver for it to not be a tier one deck. Ev- like for the rest of the format's health, like days would have but, to be but, banned. Delver in general. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, spe- I'm specifically trying to find out when Blue Red Delver really took over from Rock Delver, because like Rock well, Delver, Grixis Delver, those always used to be a thing, and now we have these much more mid range focused builds of Blue Red Delver, which used to be like I think not Sprite that big Dragon of a thing. probably. Sprite Dragon's but those really, are the, really good. That's the aggressive version, right? Yeah. I, I'm talk, yeah. We're talking about the version with like four Delva, three Snapcaster, two Bone Crusher, two Brazen Borrower, two Trunin Nemesis. That, oh, that's the one I, 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 that's, I'm that's, thinking um, about. That's MM17 uh, marker. Who we For example, yeah. The, yeah. The, that, that's, that's more him. That is the mid-range Delva thing. He calls it Blue Red Adventures. Um, it, it is. He plays like two Counterspell as well. I wouldn't take that as the norm. The, the norm mm-hmm. is the norm is more like uh, what Sylvia Water is playing and stuff, which probably is like under um, under Timidelva on Goldfish. If that's where you're looking, but I think Sprite Dragon is the difference to mean that you don't have to play like black for Gurmagangler or green for Tarmogoyf. Okay, because I was wondering um, why the 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 versions I was seeing they weren't playing the what's it called Spellbelly um, um, Ether of Forager. Yeah, so Sylvia that's Water the, the card is that, that has been well. impressing me a lot. Yeah, so if you if you're on Goldfish, there's um, the top result. So they have four Delver of Secrets, one Snapcaster Mage, which is surprising actually. Four Sprite Dragon, three Bone Crusher Giant, one Brazen Borrower, two Ethereal Forager, which is the Whale. That's the threat suite, and uh, yeah, this is what won the the challenge. Seems the Snapcaster Mage is a bit funny to me, but the rest of it seems just like the threats are good enough that you don't need to splash really, apart from the Clothis. God, the splash really is just for one Sylvan Library, one Clothis in the sideboard. <laughs> wow, for one one tropical island. This is just Blue Red Delver, isn't it? Yeah. It pretty much is, yeah. I yeah. thought there was like two Clothis here, but yeah. 
So yeah, Sprite Dragon is just really, really, really good. Um, I think that's probably another reason why Blue Red Delver. But I like it. It's it's super aggressive, but it dies to removal spells. Uh, I think it's a pretty healthy push threat, if that's a way of saying it. Dukes, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Maybe I'm going to play this. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is Callum is doing a pretty good job of setting the Sprite Dragons. Isn't Sprite Dragon actually one of those those Godzilla cards that we actually got? Uh, yeah, of it. something perfect pet. Well, I can't remember. The, yeah, I thought it was like like a fake, but yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Apparently it's real. Yeah. Awesome. Did you see the uh, the versions of Blu-ray Delva playing Clout of the Dominus? Yes, that was um, Italian chap. Uh Tosiluk, I think, is the name. Yeah, really that, interesting. That card is scary. Um, it looks like a meme. I think people, I see people joke about it a lot. But like, slap that on a sprite dragon. That's plus one counter. Um, so it ma- makes it a three three hex proof or shroud, I think. Shroud, yeah. Shroud, yeah. Like, is it like a creature enchantment? Yeah. So one mana, blue or red hybrid, uh, aura. And if enchanted creature is blue, it has shroud. If it's red, it has something. <laughs> haste haste yeah cool so it has haste already but it's just for shroud and like i don't know sprite dragon kills so fast it's pretty cool it also gets a uh, plus one plus one for each of those effects so it gets plus two plus two just from that as well Ooh, okay yeah god so you put that on a sprite dragon that's a four four shroud without anything else yeah it's pretty nasty <laughs> awesome so Duke, uh, are there any other decks that that you would add to into consideration for for any kind of big tournament um i always hear that hogak is a pretty competitive deck especially in the devil meta but i haven't seen too much of it recently and i'm not sure if people have just got enough experience against it that they know how to beat it hogak is weird because it, it is good against delver and i feel like it always does well in events online like the deck is like talk shit about quite a lot um it has a lot of bad matchups but it is very good against fair and it's good. It is good against Delver. I think it could struggle with um, like the better Delver decks in the past with like broken threats and stuff. But um, and if it has a target on its head, it's it's kind of just like a walking duck. But it keeps placing in large Magic Online events. I think uh, PTQs and stuff. It's 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 kind of like the grinders deck. The people that don't play Legacy very much, they turn to it because they maybe played Hogan yeah. in Modern and stuff. And <laughs> the deck really does perform. Um, it's one that I love as well. So I'm a little bit biased towards it very fun to play but um it keeps rearing its head gak, gak just keeps coming back and you know uh, what i think about the deck yeah um in in, in like f- certain fighting games there's characters that if you're not very good at the game those characters will destroy you and they are usually called like noob crushers <laughs> and i think hogak is one of those noob crushers in legacy like yeah, if you come into that. legacy and you don't know exactly what's going on like you've seen it you've maybe like watched some streams but now you're up against hogak and you not don't know exactly what's going on hogak is gonna like destroy you like really badly <laughs> it's gonna tear you apart like nothing else and that's one of the biggest allures to me for hogak it's it's a lot of moving yeah. pieces and it's hard to play against that's true, yeah. that's true. I mean, against elves, you still have like the option of like slamming down a Plague Engineer if you have that, and you probably should be having Plague Engineers in your deck if you're not very familiar with the format, because that's just like such a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Orgak is, yeah, it, it's similar in that regard, that's true. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's like Doomsday, which will probably also destroy a lot of people who have no idea what's going on. I mean, they might um, not know what Doomsday does, but they don't know what the Hogak matchup works like. is very good against Doomsday, funnily enough. It's it's one of the only combo matchups that's all because of the crab, right? Yeah, <laughs> if you have a crab in play and like two fetches uh, up, they 
they can't really win apart unless they avail of some of you. It's pretty funny. <laughs> That's classic. I never thought of that. I guess. Yeah. I guess they can have the the fuss on hand, right? And then they. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, but that's that's a corner case. They need to set up like a situation where they doomsday and then like, do something, and then have like a way to get the oracle from the from the pile into their hand, like two straight re- two street wraiths or like a brainstorm and something else. Or yeah, they they can do it like if they have enough time. But Hogek attacks pretty fast as well, so um, yeah, it's weirdly like one of the only good combo matchups. Although they can still just like turn one you. But yeah, <laughs> as as always, it's been there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. That's um, that's pretty much what we'd be considering for any kind of big event coming up. Um, but there's more big events coming up. There's not only the 40k and the 100k. There is also one of the highest plus EV events on Magic Online of the entire year. No shit. I'm this just is gonna like give ever. you like, for what you ma- put in. Ever. It's well, basically what you get infinite out. value, right? Yeah. the only some would say upside others wrongfully claim downside is that you have to play a format you've probably never played before which means you get to crush a lot of people just like you who have no idea what they're doing and if you win this tournament that has no buy-in you can win is it a mox emerald it is a mox emerald that's a free entry for a mox emerald that's insane and there's also like other prizes for top eight or something, right? Or is it just like winner takes it all? Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's a, a ri- revised Bayou for second. There's uh, a beta lightning bolt for third and fourth, and then there's wow. misty rainforests for fifth to eighth. That's insane. This is this is like an MKM, but you get free entry and you play it online. <laughs> but tell us about it, Dukes. This is tell us about the format because I've never played the format. Seven point Highlander. I think it's an Australian format, and you've done a lot of work to actually popularize the format, right? Uh, yeah, I've definitely done uh, a bit, but there is a, a larger community and uh, some people who put a lot of time and effort into it, which is awesome because it is probably the most popular Eternal format in Australia. Uh, so Seven Point Highlander, uh, also known as Australian Highlander, or Pleasant Kenobi calls it Auslander, which I actually like, uh, <laughs> is a constructed format. Uh, it's a singleton format. Uh, we have 60 cards and a 15-card sideboard, like a regular deck. Uh, and it utilizes the vintage formats card pool and band list, uh, except companions. Um, so with seven point Highlander, each player is allowed seven points worth of cards, uh, and there is an official points list. Uh, so you could spend say five points on an ancestral recall and two points on a treasure cruise, uh, but then you miss out on cards like demonic tutor or, or mind twist. Um, you could also do something like uh, seven one pointed cards to kind of maximize the the power overall of your cards. Uh, but this is. Uh, yeah, a format that's huge in Australia. Uh, with COVID, it's become a thing that people have really pushed online as well. Uh, I think as a free form or vintage. I think it's actually free form because we use Companions uh, tournament. But they yeah ran a really successful MTGO tournament uh, at the start of the year, um, which uh, I'll, I'll link the uh, the Reddit post. But you can see some of the top eight decks from that as well that uh, were streamed, which is awesome. Uh, but it's yeah free entry. Uh, it kicks off on May 10th. Uh, the tournament is double Swiss, so it means you play against two opponents a week, uh, and then th- there's a cut to single top, uh, single elimination in the top eight, um, which is, is oh, so pretty it's awesome. Not, not, not happening on a sing- sing- sorry to interrupt you. It's not happening on a single day, so it's it's spread yeah, it's out over time, over many days. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I believe it will be done through MTG Melee, um, and I believe the last one was I think. Uh, 
either six or eight weeks um so playing yeah a multitude of opponents and then hopefully making it into that top eight where there's pretty awesome prizes all have our international post included as of course for our overseas players but yeah first is a paper unlimited mox emerald second is the revised bayou third and fourth are the beta lightning bolts and then our fifth to eighth are the misty rainforests so how do we actually sign up for this you said it's going to be on melee is there is there already like a link that we can post yeah, definitely. I'll put the link. I'll give the link to you in the show notes. Um, but it awesome. should be pretty easy to sign up for it. Uh, there's some really good resources as well, like uh, 7ph.com.au uh, is the official site. Uh, Moxfield.com um, is a really good deck building site that actually has Seven Point Highlander as a format, so you can check out what people are building, or you can also build your your deck on that site, which is cool. I was going to say, can you give us a like a quick rundown? of the format so some of the top decks and would you say this is like uh closer to a legacy power level or vintage power level or is it just kind of unique somewhere in there yeah it's pretty unique i would put it up with legacy but some of the quick starts are definitely vintage viable um mm-hmm. so the winner of the last league callum was actually esper tempo uh, which is pretty cool um so that's pretty much just a, a mid-range esper deck uh i'm a huge fan of mid-range decks as well uh, usually looking at something like Blue Moon, which is a blue-red control Ooh, deck that nice. uses like Magus, Back to Basics, and Blood Moon. Um, there's a few combo decks. Uh, shout out to the Brisbane team who put together Slush Puppy, which is a deck <laughs> that utilizes Brain Freeze. Um, Slush Puppy is like a you know like a, a frozen yeah, a, drink. A drink so that so yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> which is really strong. So that uses like a package of uh, intuition and gifts and given for things like Savine's Reclamation, Underworld Breach, LED. Ooh, I can and, play um, Breach again. <gasps> I'm sold. I'm sold. There's my deck. Which is really strong. But there's also I'm like uh, Blue Red Aggro, like a Delver deck. There's uh, Jund and Junk. Um, Rug Life was huge when Time Walk and Ancestral could be used within your seven points, but obviously those have been ticked up since then. Um it's it's a pretty open format and the best part is that obviously there's some decks that are always showing up in top eights or top 16s but there's a lot of room for creativity especially with the points list yeah this this deck building idea like it's I, i'm i'm in the seven point Highlander discord and have been for a while and i've like kind of gone in there to, to scope things out and stuff and i'm always interested in it but um i kind of just like keep putting it to the back of my mind for no reason and stuff uh, it just seems really fun so um, there's so many deck building ideas because having access to these like super powerful cards, but only one of them and at a cost as well, is such a different deck building um, constraint than than you would usually have. It's it's really unique. So yeah, now you've you've told me there's a breach deck. I'm I'm so so in. Like no, I didn't need any more uh, like, persuading. Like oh yeah, I'm down for that. Nice. Yeah, it's good to be on MTGO as well because uh, decks like goblins are also really strong, but uh, Mox jet or no mox ruby mm-hmm. is mox ruby the red one it is yep. right <laughs> uh is obviously quite expensive so being able to play that on mcgo yeah definitely sure. down downsizes that cost which is awesome so yeah because all the power yeah. and stuff very keen to see how many people they get for this because uh that mox emerald is huge uh, <laughs> I, I can't think of the last tournament that i went to other than a yeah. eternal weekend in melbourne where a, a piece of power was up for grabs massive how many people have signed up so far uh that's yeah. a good question i haven't looked Okay. I should. Is it? Do you know if it's if it's going to be capped? Uh, no, I think the the cap is just on MTG merely, which is hundreds of yeah people. Cool. <laughs> okay. So okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious. I, I, I'm wondering whether 
I guess it makes sense that you spread it out over many days if you want to get people from basically any time zone. So you can basically... How does it work? Do you organize with your opponent when you're going to play or is the time set when you're going to play? I've never heard about this kind of like way to run yeah. a tournament. Um, so I've definitely done leagues like it as well locally where uh, each week pairings go out and you get two pairings and you just have to mm-hmm. uh, find a time with those two people to play during the, the week um, and then record your own results and then the next week you get your next two uh, and that continues. I assume it'll be based uh, how many rounds and how many people actually entered the event. Okay, okay. Because Melee usually says like, okay, you play now and then you have to play it. So to kind of defeat the purpose of, of like trying to get everybody from around the world to play at a convenient time. But I mean, you, you can't really make it right anyway, right? If you got somebody like in, in the US and somebody in Australia, it's like, yeah, it's going to be tough either way. I'm sure there's a way. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. all stay up until like four in the morning. Who cares? <laughs> like we want to move the Mox Emerald. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely um confirm how they're doing uh, at least making it easier for those with the time difference. Awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, before we close this out, Dukes, where can people find you? Remind us again, we're going to have all your social links in the show notes, but help us out. Where, where can people find you on Twitter, on Twitch, on the Dropbear forums? Who are you <laughs> and where are you? Yeah, I am uh, Dukes on Twitch. That's D-O-U-G-E-S-O-N-T-W-I-T-C-H. Uh, on YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. I envy you so much for having like the same thing everywhere. It's I can't do it. <laughs> I was I, gonna I have gonna like, like yeah. Dukes on YouTube or Dukes on Twitter, but I think that's it's nice just to have the one the one brand. Yeah, it's worth so much to have the same thing everywhere. I yeah. I'm actually like sometimes considering whether I should pick up like an entirely different name just because of that. No, it's Julian's really good. It is, but sometimes it's Julian twenty three and on uh on Instagram, it's like, it's Julian023. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll figure, yeah, we'll figure it out eventually. So that's awesome. If you want to follow our podcast, you can find our podcast on Twitter at EternalMTG. You can find me at it's Julian23. And Callum, where can people find you and where can people find your stream? Good question. I always forget this one. You, uh, you always mix the two up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's at WhitefacesMTG for Twitter. And it's Whitefaces just that for twitch i'm a yeah, professional I'm sure i promise I'm, you're very very unprofessional here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's the allure of it <laughs> but i think you, you actually nailed it i think that's the correct yes, thing did it Woo-hoo. awesome so if you want to support our podcast there's many different ways you can leave a review on apple podcasts that helps us a lot that puts us up in the rankings so if people are like oh i want to see what legacy is all about you just yeah say so you recommend this one we i think we got like 60 recommendations by now all of them five stars thank you so so much really makes a huge difference i think that's probably the number one thing that anyone has ever done is to to leave a review so that people can really find us and that that really eventually just feeds into building community and doing everything so thank you so much for that also big thanks to our patreons on patreon especially our eternal witness tier supporters we just got so many new patreons over the last couple of weeks tommy hinks trent browers testacular sebastian hulaga gm jake and severin schwarzuber and on our top grizzle brand tier that keeps growing as well victor bernatz Bachi Butts, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, Tom Hepp, Christopher Reinhardt, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. Thank you so much. Thanks for keeping the lights on here. Dukes, thank you so much for getting up super early in the morning. You're, you're headed for work now, right? I am. Uh, no, a huge thank you to you guys. This is, uh, 
I know everyone says whenever they go on podcasts, like, oh, this is a pleasure and it's really good. But this is, yeah, MTG bucket list worthy. Very cool to be on here. <laughs> nice. It was a pleasure having you. It was a great time, man. See you in the, in the Highlander finals. Dude, that, imagine that final for the mocks. Oh, my God. That's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. I'll see you then. <laughs> see you, everyone. Bye-bye.